Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Swami. I'm here with Keely Severson. Eric Johnson is out, and we are exposing mold. We have Charles Lewis with us from Nonprofit Home Inspections. Charles is an Oregon and Washington certified home inspector and a licensed general contractor with 15 years of experience. Because of his construction experiences, Charles has a firm understanding of modern building science and is able to give comprehensive experience-based home inspection reports that are easy to understand. I actually went ahead and uh, watched the video on some of your reports, and they're just extremely comprehensive and amazing. So whoever designed that, Kudos to them. Thank you. <laughs> Charles Thank decided you. to uh, become a licensed home inspector in order to protect families from unknown hazards in the home. When he was growing up, his single mom purchased a fixer upper that needed a lot of work. Raising six kids, mostly by herself, working as a waitress, Charles's mother wasn't able to afford a proper home inspection. Years later, she was diagnosed with mesothelioma because of exposure to asbestos. And within about a month of being diagnosed, she passed away from an easily preventable hazard. Charles, I'm so sorry to hear that. Not wanting other families to go through similar ordeals, he created a nonprofit home inspections, an organization that elevates the level of home inspections by training better home inspectors and by making home inspections available to everyone in the community. Please, Charles, let us know what is nonprofit home inspections and, and how are you doing all this? This is just so amazing to me. My mind is blown that, that you are providing home inspections on a sliding scale for people who possibly can't afford it. Yes, yes, and uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Um, as you mentioned, we are a nonprofit 501c3 organization, and our big goal is to make home inspections accessible for everybody. And um, as um, as you know, you know, a home inspection can really help identify some uh, defects in a home that could not only be physically debilitating but also financially debilitating, you know? Um, uh, so we um, want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to get a home inspection, um, you know, was based on uh, personal experience and something easily preventable uh, tragedy there um, with my mother being exposed to asbestos. And so we are trying to, um, make the home inspections available to everybody regardless of income. And then we also have a state licensed trade school in both Oregon and Washington, where we train people to become better home inspectors. And um, it's been uh, tremendously successful. Um, we, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the bar for being a home inspector is kind of low in, in both states. And there are uh, certain uh things you don't have to do as a home inspector. We uh, do try uh, our best to um, give our clients as much information as possible about, um, you know, defects that we would see in, in the home. And uh, we, we try to impart that on our students as well. Yeah. As I was um, going through your sample inspection on YouTube, i was just like, wow, this is extremely comprehensive. And, you know, we cater to the mold population. So we're really interested in that portion. You guys are actually collecting data samples and you're sending it out to the lab. I remember when I purchased my home in 
in Oregon, the inspector never did that. It was just like, oh, you know, there's some mold here. And it was just a kind of a call out from a visual um, that he did. But you guys are actually sending stuff out, sampling and ensuring, okay, is this the the bad the bad mold or is this just the common mold? Yeah, and we we can take those samples. We don't necessarily do it with every single uh, inspection. It's just what the client would want to do. And um, one thing about um, home inspections in both Oregon and Washington, and it's great that your home inspector at least mentioned, you know, that there were visual indications of it. But actually, per state law. Uh, mold is outside the scope of a home inspection, which is very interesting. But the I think the reason being that a lot of mold can be hidden. You can't see it. And and per state law, you know, a home inspection is what you can see, what you can visually see. And um, some inspectors, you know, don't even call out the visual indications of mold, which I think is not a good thing for sure. Uh, but um, the state does explicitly say mold uh, is is something that home inspectors don't do. So it's it's good that your inspector at least pointed it out visually. You know, the next step up is to be able to take samples to be able to tell the client, hey, this is the bad stuff, or this is, you know, mold that you would commonly see in the Pacific Northwest and 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 what are the levels and the concentrations? Because uh, as you know, mold spores are everywhere, but you know, as you get more and more concentrations of it, then you can have the uh, debilitating health uh, impacts. And um, we we do um, offer the uh, mold testing, and if in conjunction with a, a home inspection, uh, we don't do the testing just on its own because we really feel that um, the you know it's one thing to test a you know splotch of. Uh, suspected mold. And then yes, it's mold. It's another thing to say what caused it, you know, because it's going to be moisture that caused it. Is it bad siding? Is it the roofing? Uh, You know, is it uh, too much humidity in the home? You know, there's tons and tons of reasons. Uh, So that's why we only do the mold sampling in conjunction with a home inspection, because it's so much more valuable to know why, um, you know, there may be mold present because it's all about, you know, excess moisture. Yeah. And um, when you guys refer to the bad stuff, the toxic black mold, what what are you guys referring to in terms of like what strains? Um, so I'm not an expert on mold, but it's the uh, stocky, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, the stocky boris, or uh, is my understanding is the uh, bad stuff. We uh, take the samples and all our in, in, uh, inspectors are certified for sampling. Then we send it off to a certified lab and they give the report. And they, um, one thing that's really neat about the report as well is it, it talks about the different types of mold that are found, but then also uh, gives very detailed information about, you know, is it the bad stuff that I can't pronounce or is it, you know, this uh, mold that's caused by decaying wood, which is very interesting because, you know, you can see like a recently flipped house where everything appears to be, you know, nice and new paint everywhere and new flooring. But sometimes we get back the mold samples and there's a particular type of mold that is from decayed wood. And it's like, there's some dry rot in the walls. You know, again, we can't see it because it may be covered with a fresh sheet of uh, drywall and paint, but 
by doing the mold sampling, you can uh, find out things that you wouldn't be able to see, like, hey, there's dry rot in the in the walls, because we know that because this mold spore is only associated with decaying wood. You know, so that is a pretty neat thing, I think, um, that the mold sampling uh, offers. I do appreciate you calling out stachybotrys because we're very um, we're very on board with that. We understand stachy to be the toxic black mold, but there's a lot of mold testers and a lot of mold inspectors that will call out common molds to be the most dangerous. And so it was refreshing to hear you say stachybotrys and not okay. like an ass pen or something. A- attempting <laughs> yeah. to say it. I, I <laughs> so, but, yeah. um, you know, just going back to, to the basic home inspection, the whole industry, I mean, do you have to have some sort of background in general contracting to become a, whole, a home inspector? Like how is that industry regulated where you are? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, Yes, you have to be a licensed home inspector in Oregon and Washington, and um, you do not necessarily need to have a background in construction, although it is very helpful. And uh, because um, in order to pass the test, it's quite a difficult uh, test, um, but in order to pass that test, the kind of bare minimum, it does help to have a background. Um, and um, the the way the laws are written, basic, and they, they aren't always enforced this way, which kind of rubs me a little bit with, especially with the state of Oregon, the construction contractor board. Um, but anytime somebody inspects more than one component in a building, you're supposed to be a licensed home inspector. So if, they, if somebody comes in and just uh, inspects your plumbing, you know, Okay, you can be a plumber. You don't need to be a home inspector. But if you come in and inspect the plumbing and the electrical, you're supposed to be a licensed home inspector. Okay. And the reason I say it rubs me is um, there are companies out there that do uh, things like um, oil tank sweeps, sewer scopes, and uh, radon testing. Now, those are three different components of the building, you know, and, but the CCB is not enforcing the fact that they should be licensed uh, home inspectors. And um, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a problem and it's something they, they should change because what you have is um, a contractor who's there who does not get paid unless they have a big project. And so they come in and do the radon testing, sewer scope, and um, whatever, oil tank sweeper. You know, they bundle these things, and then they find these problems or they make these problems into bigger problems. And it's during a very stressful time during the home sale and everything. And that's the whole reason behind uh, home inspectors having to be licensed and um, we have certain restrictions like we cannot work on any home that we've inspected within one year. And the idea being it's a very stressful time. And even though I'm a licensed contractor, um, it's not ethical, I believe, and the people who wrote the law believe for somebody to come and say, oh, you need a radon in- system installed and a new sewer line. And um, you, I can here's a bid for it. I can do it you know, today, uh, or, you know, got somebody around the corner. So um, that's why they uh, say home inspectors should be the only ones doing it. And um, again, just kind of a rub on me and the CCB is not enforcing it. And I think they're wrong. And uh, uh, 
I think it's a failing, which I would say also uh, another failing, I do believe that associated with homes is and are the regulations concerning mold exposure, you know, and we get so many um, clients um, or potential clients who are like, I've, you know, got mold in my home. I think it's making me sick. And what do I do? And it's like, well, we can do an inspection. We can do sampling, things like that. But it's not like lead. It's not like asbestos. It's not like radon where there are set levels of exposure that say, if you have so many, you know, mold spores present, it's dangerous, you know, so each person has to prove on their own that this mold is making them sick. And it has happened. People have used our inspections um, for lawsuits and stuff like that and uh, have won, but it's a much higher bar. And it, it seems like for the protection of the general population, there should be set levels. You know, there should be um, a certain amount of exposure where, just like asbestos, where it is, you know, assumed to cause problems if mold is present. Because so many uh, tenants, um, you know, may have issues and they can't fix the issues. You know, they can't fix the, the moisture problems with the homes. And so they end up having to live with mold. Um, they've got a, a contracts and agreements uh, that, the landlords keep them there as well. And uh, so that's another failing, I think, uh, with the uh, the state and the federal um, government is that we, we should have some set levels of mold exposure, where above that, it's, you know, a given. It's dangerous for, for people to live in. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation, offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more. Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. We've had this conversation before about the regulation of toxic mold. And Eric's not here right now because he's out. But one thing that Eric always says is that regulation of the mold industry has the potential to cause more harm than it could help. Hmm. And I don't mean to come out to directly disagree with you because I think... That's like a very earnest and sincere and honest way that people want to help. <laughs> they want to establish a limit that we can't go past for safety and they want it enforced for the resident's safety. There's just a few things of how this plays out in real life that make that challenging or do allow that regulation to essentially hurt someone who's been injured to the level that I've been injured with from toxic mold or Alicia or Eric, Mm -hmm. we have what is considered a permanent immune system injury. So we are essentially walking mold radars where we can kind of tell if mold is hiding in a wall. Mm -hmm. Now, 
let's have a situation where they set a safe limit of stachybotrys. What if they set it at one spore is safe? One spore would still be too much for somebody like me. If they set it at zero, it seems even trickier to enforce because it's like, what if, what if you can't find any spores in the air test? But what if you can find like the mycotoxins on another type of test? Mm -hmm. So like maybe you can't find the colony and the spores too heavy, so you can't test for it, but you could maybe have evidence of the mycotoxins. What would that do for the regulation? Let's say you have mycotoxin that's only produced by a trichothecine producing mold like Stachybotrys ketomium, one of the really nasty ones. Um, And those molds aren't found like in an air sample or a spore test but maybe their mycotoxins are present and maybe their mycotoxins are found and maybe they're not found. And so these are just some of the, I feel like I interjected with this whole thing about why this isn't possible, but I feel like you are a good person that would maybe think about that and say, well, Hey, look, maybe this is how it could be done differently. Or maybe just, or maybe you might have ideas about that and feedback and say something interesting that we can all learn from. Yeah. And so with with my thoughts, it basically comes from seeing homes that are filled with mold. You know, so it's like we get a client who is maybe renting the home and I think I've got a mold problem. My landlord won't do anything. What do I do? And it's like basically right now, the only thing you can do is sue them. You know, that's the only thing. And, uh, my, you know, my understanding, and even though it is, there's mold everywhere, um, that's where I believe there should be consequences for bad landlords that are not um, keeping their properties habitable without somebody having to engage a lawyer and sue everybody and, you know, that way. Um, and yeah i mean how do you set the levels i don't know you know i'm not a public policy person yeah no but i'm with you i'm really with you on what you said because what you identified back to me as a response was like okay so maybe it's not going to be helpful for the hypersensitized who are still reacting to one spore and that can't be found but how many more people would it be helping who are maybe really low income and their landlords aren't doing basic upkeep and it's just allowing mold to overflow inside Mm -hmm. of an area. Yeah. And so it is a tricky question. That's probably why they haven't figured it out, but it seems like they, they can do more and, you know, uh, they they should do to protect people. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thinking about the, your industry, you know, the mold industry, it seems like there's just a lot of failures within both. And, you know, when I, when you're hiring a mold inspector, you're not really understanding their background. At least for me, I was buying my first home. I didn't know what the heck I was looking for. I just said, Hey, realtor, bring someone in and let it be done so we can move forward with the purchase here. Um, Do you feel like it's important to hire someone who is highly trained. Like, I feel like that's just an important component to really understand what's going in, going on in your house. Like having someone with the background of, 
you know, building construction and whatever else. And it seems like that's what really makes your organization different from other companies is that you guys actually have this extensive experience because you're also not only are you doing these inspections, but you're actually teaching people how to do better inspections than I guess what is currently offered on the market. Yes. And I, I would say that it's super, super important to uh, to get, you know, uh, a well-qualified inspector for, you know, the home inspection. Now, um, if you do have like severe mold um, allergy and, you know, reaction, that's where I would say even above a home inspector, go, go to a, um, an expert mold person, you know, with, um, and don't rely just on the home inspector because again, you know, per state law, mold's not even a home inspector thing, really, you know, per state law, we try to do better than what's the minimum required. We, we try to offer the professional, uh, air sampling. Uh, It helps reduce the risk, but if, you do have um, sensitivity already, I would say go to the experts, the mold experts. And um, the thing about uh, home inspectors is they're not really supposed to be experts in anything. They're supposed to be generalists, you know, that um, know a lot of stuff about a lot of different things. And we have to know, I mean, thousands of different systems, you know, to inspect a house because so many houses are different. But a home inspector is not going to be an expert on everything, an expert on mold, expert on radon, expert on, you know, structural things like that. So um, if there is a severe um, sensitivity already, go to um, a qualified mold contractor. And that being said, as you guys may know, and kind of my feelings about it, the mold contracting business can be very predatory. I've I believe, and I've seen it, where you've got some great contractors who are very ethical and who take it very seriously and don't try to rip people off. And then there's contractors who don't do anything, you know, throw some paint over whatever, you know, mold is there, call it good, and they don't really fix anything. And so um, I do try to warn um, our clients that, you know, mold is one of those very predatory um, areas that contractors can be really good or really bad. And so you want to research them, you know, Better Business Bureau and all the reviews and everything too, to make sure that they're really going to do what they're, they say they're going to do and, and aren't potentially making the problem worse. Because you can have people who don't know what they're doing come in and, you know, in quotes, remediate mold, and they end up spreading spores around even worse in the home. Just very important to um, research any mold contractor extensively. Um, but again, you know, if there is that uh, sensitivity that you know already, I, I would not rely just on a home inspector. Even our home inspectors, we're really good. But if, if you if there's that um, concern already, step it up to the expert mold uh, contractors is what I would uh, suggest. And um, I was listening to, I think it was your guys' very first podcast, and somebody had uh, mold underneath um, a washing machine. Is that? Uh, and and they found it. Um, there was a, a, a plumbing supply line drip under the washing machine. There was a bunch of mold there, and that's kind of an example where a home inspector, because we're not allowed to pull the 
you know, wash uh, dishwashers out of the walls and check underneath them, things like that, because our client may not own the home yet. And so we can't do like more invasive inspection. So that's like an example of why a home inspector, um, they've, they've said molds outside the scope of a home inspection because we can't pull all that stuff out, you know, like a contractor can and would be allowed to do. So, so then do inspectors, do they always make a point to identify evidence of water damage? Um, they should. They should uh, do that. And um, can they say legally, I've noticed staining, this is evidence of a leak, this could be evidence of mold, you might want to have that looked into? Yes, they, Was they that, should. Is that within like the legal allowability? Yeah. And what they suggest that home inspectors say is, you know, apparent mold or microbial growth, you know, um, because I think there's a fear with some home inspectors that um, they would get sued you know, because they said there was mold and the only way you can know for sure if it's mold is by a laboratory test, you know. And so um, you'll see most home inspectors will say, you know, apparent mold observed. Um, however, and this is one reason why we're trying to elevate the industry, there are some home inspectors that won't even comment on it. You know, there'll be a big splotch of mold on the wall and they won't even mention it because, mold is outside the scope of a home inspection home inspection and for me that's a bad home inspector you know if there's something that's visually accessible and they're not commenting on it um i think that's terrible and uh, so they're technically following the law mm-hmm. but it's a loophole that essentially harms the health of the consumer and the home occupant it can for sure yeah maybe that's something that we could fill in the void yeah, get and loud on talking about to kind of shame the industry into some decency. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in Oregon and Washington, you know, one easy change for home inspectors would be to say any visual indications of apparent mold or something should be noted in the report, you know, to change the law to say, hey, it's not, you know, it, because again, I don't think it would be fair to say for the home inspector if mold was found underneath the dishwasher where it wasn't visually accessible, I don't think that's fair to hold them to that. But if mold is on a wall and it's totally visible during the inspection, I think they should be commenting on it. And uh, maybe that's where some regulations could be changed. So slightly, there's also the liability of the inspector where they don't really want to be liable for not finding something if it's somewhere where they didn't look hard enough or something, you know, because not every inspector is pulling out a dishwasher. I mean, inspectors don't do that when you buy a house. It, you, they would get in trouble with the home seller if they did that a lot, you oh, know, okay. for sure to pull it out. Um, and um, though one thing to note, though, is for the home inspector, they're are, and this is unfortunate and something we don't partake in at all, but uh, some home inspectors won't call out issues like that, uh, like even mold that's visible because they don't want to sink the deal. 
because it's uh, a dirty little secret is that a lot of home inspectors get referrals from real estate agents. Like, you know, oh, like yeah. Alicia mentioned, I just used that uh, home inspector my agent suggested. So mm-hmm. what happens is that those home inspectors don't want to sink that deal. Mold is scary, so they may not call it out. And um, if they do call it out, that agent gets mad and never uses them again. You know, absolutely. You know, we actually used our own home inspector for that exact reason. And our realtor was personally offended that we didn't use her referred person. And I'm thinking, look, I know how this game works and I'm not playing it with you. Like, I'm absolutely fighting my own inspector. Yep. That's a really, really smart idea. Um, And you're just because then they're not beholden. And, you know, legally, home inspectors are not supposed to modify their uh, results or the report uh, to, you know, make an agent happy. But I know it happens. But they could ignore some stuff or they could not find some stuff or they could continuously not mention that a damp problem is a huge red flag. And that way they could get a lot of real estate deals to go through where there could have been a hiccup, the sales canceled or a repair has to happen if this is brought up. Yep, exactly. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate. I think it is a good idea to research home inspectors, you know, significantly look, you know, look at those reviews. And that's the one thing that's kind of nice about um, our current market is that, um, you know, an, an inspector, if they were to do something that be soft on a house just to get a sale and keep the agent happy, eventually it's going to come around and bite them, you know, and somebody's going to be mad and write a review. And so that's where um, I think it's kind of weeding some of that out, but we still have a ways to go for sure. Yeah. And also it can be delayed by people not putting two and two together. Yep. You know, it's one thing to even find mold in your house. And then to connect it with your illness and then to suspect your realtor and your inspector, just let it slide. Those are a lot of really big eye-opening realizations that don't all happen for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got screwed over with that (laughs) being, you know, a person that was well and didn't know anything about mold and didn't know anything about throwing ourselves into the gauntlet. And it's like, there's so much stuff that I had to learn after the fact, you know, after I got sick, after we got screwed over. And now I'm like, whoa, it really opened up my eyes to this whole industry and just how conniving people can be from the realtors <laughs> to the mediators to the testers, inspectors. like who's protecting the consumer, you know, it's yeah. like, where you are, really, that's the craziest part, home. Alicia. Like you really think people, normal business people are just normal, good hearted people with integrity. And then you like get thrown into the snake pit and you're like, you're all in here trying to bite me. Yep. You guys had uniforms on. Are you joking? Like, yep. <laughs> so Alicia, exactly what you said. Conniving. Absolutely. And that's why organizations like ours form. Yeah. You know, through this, this, these tragedies and these tragedies really turn into these situations where we want to look out for people. We want to help people. Um, and we don't want them to go down the same roads that we went down and try to reduce suffering as much as we can. And, 
it's so awesome that you guys decided to go in the nonprofit like realm. Mm-hmm. Like explain that. Like, how did all that come about? Because we're we're we've started a nonprofit and we're just like, ah, it's just like so <laughs> much to like get through and to like oh meet all these deadlines and these requirements. And it's just like we should have just been for profit. Like at this point, it's just like insane. So the fact that you guys have Google as a sponsor, Microsoft as a sponsor, like you're, you know, you're going through the motions and like how many people have you been able to serve just through your efforts of of this organization? It's it's thousands, you know, per year, um, you know, with big house purchases and things. So um and um as you mentioned, you know, running a nonprofit is brutal. It's it's very difficult. It's I, I've run both for profits and nonprofits and it's twice the paperwork, you know, and twice the headaches running the nonprofit. Um, you do have some benefits where you can get, you know, some grant support and stuff like that. But it is a a a big deal and a, a lot of work and um but it's you know, important work um, with us. I believe we're the only um, nonprofit home inspection company like nationwide. You know, I couldn't find one at all. It makes sense to me, though. You know, we have our sliding scale and we have free services where we partnered with the Oregon Health Authority. And so we um, are given out free radon tests uh, in Oregon and Washington. Um, and, you know, we have our trade school and things like that. So, you know, we've got all that, but at the same time, even um, um, regular home inspection company, it is a great public service if you're doing it right, you know, and you're not uh, colluding with real estate agents, you know, and you're, you're trying to do the best job possible. And that's something we try to teach our students is that, um, you know, they can be a for-profit and uh, and um, have, have a lot less paperwork and everything, but you can still be helping people out without, um, you know, trying to take advantage of everything and trying to make every buck you can off of somebody by minimizing uh, potential defects. So um, in terms of, uh, you know, starting up the, the nonprofit, um, I have uh, got a background in nonprofit management. My uh, master's degree is in uh, nonprofit management, and I've started up uh, a couple of other nonprofits um, up in uh, Portland area, the uh, uh, Ethos Music Center. Uh, I had started that up right after grad school, and then um, down in um, West Lynn area, I started the. Uh, I was hired to start up the Youth Music Project, and that was uh, one of the Columbia Sportswear family uh, members hired me for uh, starting that up. So, um, I've done a ton of nonprofit work over the years. Uh, it, but when you know we had that personal tragedy where my mom was exposed to mes- uh, asbestos and got mesothelioma, then I'm like, this is something I can do. You know, music's one thing. It's very important for kids. You know, we've had budget cuts and everything, but you're talking life and death with with some of these things that impact the home and impact people living there. And, um, you know, things like mold, you know, it can be life-changing to have that sensitivity. And uh, so it was something that I, uh, I thought this is a, great way to, um, you know, get back to the community to help everybody have uh, their own safe uh, housing, you know, and it's not really as well, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, it's not just the safety, 
but it's also the financial aspect because if you find out, you know, you purchase a home and, oh, it looks good, use the, you know, home inspector my real estate agent suggested, and then you move in and it turns out to be a money pit. That can be devastating for families as well. It could be you've got, you know, uh, major structural issues or things like that. So, um, and also we uh, also try to, um, uh, focus on some environmental things and things people can do better with their homes, uh, including, you know, insulation is a very easy thing to make it more environmentally friendly. And um, we uh, uh, try to add those aspects to to our reports as well. Did you say that you studied nonprofit in college? Like there's a whole degree on learning how to run a nonprofit? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What's, got- the, name of, what's the name of that field? Uh, so mine was a, a master's in public policy, and uh, was at Harvard University and uh, the Kennedy. Policy? Yeah, master's in public policy. So I'm like, I went to school for the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to do the double take on that one. Yeah, so I studied. Uh, it was uh, business and government with a focus on nonprofit management, and uh, so. So you. Maybe didn't get as blindsided by some of the requirements as we did. <laughs> no, but it's brutal. It's hard. You know, it is. It's it's hard work, and um, you know, people don't necessarily understand that when looking. They think, oh, nonprofits, and they don't even understand too that um, you know, like you can have paid employees. You know, and they're like, well, why are you charging? You know, for a home inspection if you're nonprofit? It's like, well, you got to keep the lights on, you know, and, you know, you know, we charge for consults for people who need our expertise with discerning things in the industry. And we get the same flack. Like, how dare you not offer everything you do for free? And it's yeah. like, who do you think is funding this work? You guys like we're funding it ourselves. Like, yeah, no, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of work. And, um, you know, with every nonprofit I've started, um, I have tried to implement a what's called a fee for service basis and the idea being if you can offer this service and it's valuable people will pay for it and the key thing though is making it accessible to everybody but with the sliding scale so you know there's no reason if if somebody can uh, afford to pay for it that they shouldn't pay for it, you know, uh, because it is a valuable service and you can use that revenue then to help support people who can't afford it, you know, and, um, and, and then the other, um, thing is with the grant support, you know, that can come, you can, you know, find, uh, uh, grants, uh, to support the efforts. But what I would suggest not doing is you want to never rely on them and only use it to expand and um, to pay for like capital. So if you're going to expand and do a new program, then use the grant support just for that because it is fleeting. You know, you may get support from, uh, you know, a foundation one year or two years, but after a while, they're going to move on to something else, you know, so you never want to rely on um, foundation support for long-term support, in my opinion, just to expand and to, to grow the programs. I appreciate that little 
tidbit of advice more than you know, because we have had to take a serious look at how we are funding the nonprofit. And we're primarily doing like memberships, services, and sponsorships that are reoccurring for that exact reason. We know that if when and if we do get a grant, it's not going to be something that we can rely on forever. Yep. Yeah. So I appreciate that confirmation as someone who's much more experienced in this uh, than we are, mm-hmm. because it makes me feel like I'm and going on the right direction. And also, Charles, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. You have been one of the most down-to-earth, pleasurable oh. guests that we've had on the show. And it's really clear that you're on the right side of, of this fight. And so it's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you guys next time.